Man, what a transaction period it has been already. Certainly lots of stuff has leaked. We have a pretty decent idea of where stuff is going tomorrow and the next day, thanks to a, a lot more reporting than we used to get up until about three years ago. But we do have an absolute blockbuster, one that really only came to fruition in the last couple of weeks or so. Thankfully, we waited to record our San Antonio Spurs outlook pod until yesterday so we got a chance to talk about this Dejounte murray has been traded let's talk first from the san antonio side what do you think of this return i think this is a a strong return and especially when you factor in the the, the level of player involved and kind of where the spurs are so i like this in some ways as much from a process standpoint as from a return standpoint because this clarifies San Antonio's place within the cycle and that is a good thing for them organizationally but also this is a real return to get the terms out there the San Antonio Spurs are trading DeJounte Murray to the Atlanta Hawks in exchange for Danilo Gallinari, who reportedly is having more of his contract guaranteed to be matching salary, paralleling veteran Danny Green about a week ago. And the Hawks are also sending that Charlotte-protected first-round pick, their own first-round pick in 25 and 27 unprotected, and a pick swap in 2026. I'd be doing backflips at this return as San Antonio. Perhaps there was a feeling that, hey, all-star point guard, age 25, 17 million the next two years, that that would have somehow netted more. But I think that notes that he's an all-star, but you also have to note that he's not like really an all-star. And I think he doesn't necessarily have, I think he can get better incrementally, maybe a little bit better at three-point shooter. He's going to have to playing next to Trey Young. Obviously, we'll talk extensively about that fit when we get to the Atlanta portion of this. But not an unbelievable finisher at the basket. Averaged a lot of assists, but he was in a high assist system and he had the ball a lot. I think he makes some very good passes, but not someone I would consider a top 10 passer in the NBA. And his mid-range jumper is good, but it's not something that really breaks defenses. And then I think he's a very good defensive player, but probably a little bit too thin to switch the way someone like Drew Holiday could. Let's go back and look as we're evaluating this at some of the big deals that had this amount of equity in them and we're talking about three first round picks two of them unprotected and an unprotected pick swap and also taken back it's looking like it's going to be about 11 million in dead salary for gallo and we'll see whether he gives up some of that in a buyout or not going forward so one that we were talking about earlier today was a guy who he's been compared to a lot and of course they were looking for a package of this okay drew holiday s package drew himself was younger when he was drew holiday the first time he was traded when he was traded from yes. philadelphia to new orleans precisely yeah i think he was 22 at the time i think he was just starting yeah that's correct he was just starting an 11 million dollar a year extension and probably it would have been reasonable to think that he had a little bit more upside than murray but uh also maybe didn't play at quite the same level that murray did he, his all-star appearance was deemed to be a little bit of a fluke i think he grew into a better player in the end than maybe people thought he was going to but he was under contract for four more years and he was 22 there's a little more of a sky's the limit type of feeling there but also a feeling that this guy was not a future superstar same way you would feel with Dejounte. so i think that's a pretty decent analog maybe a little bit better of a player at the time but also i would say actually 
you know, Murray at 17, when you consider where the cap was, you know, Drew's probably making the equivalent of like, you know, what would be 22 now, maybe even more than that, maybe like 23, 24 now. So I, I think they're pretty close. So that exchange was the number six pick at that draft, which became Nerland Noel. So you plus, knew it, yeah. you knew it was going to be the six pick. Yeah. It already, yeah. It, yeah. And odds are that that is higher in a remarkably shitty draft, which people thought at the time, and they were getting a guy that they knew was injured uh, for a year and was going to miss the year, most likely. And then another top five protected pick from New Orleans the following year. So that's earlier equity. But of course, the Spurs wanted this to be later because DeJounte could leave. Hey, maybe even Trey Young could leave by 2025, 2026, 2027. I would say this is a pretty equivalent return to that. Could end up being better might not we just don't know yet but i think when you look compare at the time i would say this is probably a lower median outcome than what the sixers got back but obviously has some higher end outcomes that that probably didn't have particularly with the top five production right and also worth noting too that now with the flattened lottery odds ending up you know seventh or eighth worst record in the nba you still have a much better chance of bumping into that top four than you did back then i think that's part of this too that is part of it and a consideration you mentioned this before but i think it bears repeating the timeline on when these picks are conveying to san antonio so the Unprotected firsts are in 25 and 27 with a swap in between. The 24-25 season just so happens to be the year that DeJounte Murray's current contract expires. He could theoretically be on the Hawks through an extension or a new contract, but that is not a guarantee. That's also the year Bodanovich's contract expires. And then 26-27, the other unprotected year, Trey Young will have just had his player option. He could very well follow in the footsteps of Devin Booker, who it's reported that he's going to you know, re-up. And so maybe by that point, Trey is still locked in but there is not a ton of certainty especially when you i've always used the third contract as the differentiator for when a player really gets to exert their voice in the process that the atlanta hawks are going to look like the atlanta hawks do now they could be better they could be worse we don't exactly know that this isn't you know Giannis already being on his extension you know those sorts of those sorts of deals or anything like that like the hawks i I think they'll be credible but not a thousand percent sure and so for as you mentioned there's a more variance with this than there was the original drew trade still a lot of a lot of possibilities there and for san antonio you're also diversifying your portfolio it's something i praised new orleans for in the anthony davis trade i praised oklahoma city a lot of these like multiple unprotected pricks from the same organization because you can still be a good team have good talent and have a bad record you are buying variants you know and kind of the other form of variants you're buying them having a worse season than expected and yes, when the team doesn't have their own first round pick, generally speaking, they'll push a little bit harder on the margins, but not dramatically so. So it's, you know, it is a it is a gamble, but it is a worthy gamble from San Antonio, especially compared to Atlanta's more immediate picks when we expect them to be more likely to be better. So here are a few other examples. Let's recall, of course, that some of these guys are older and in the last year of their deal and making more. Drew Holiday, of course, the package that they're supposedly looking for. That was, I believe, three firsts and three pick swaps. It might have been three and two. And now, of course, the Bucks also got off of Eric Bledsoe's bad contract in that deal, which the Pels later ended up paying themselves some of that draft equity to dump. 
at the time, at least to those of us on the outside, we weren't sure whether Giannis was going to stick around. Perhaps the acquisition of Holiday made Giannis stick around. But now, of course, some of those picks look a lot less sexy. But hey, I mean, they're going out all the way to 2027. We still have no idea what the Milwaukee Bucks are going to be uh, in 2027. Anthony Davis in the last year, his deal, I think you would have to say that was probably more. That was a number four pick. And, and again, kind of a bad draft. Uh, Lonzo, Ingram... And then the deferred pick, another pick going forward, a couple of swaps as well. So that was definitely more. It should be. It's Anthony Davis. It's not DeJounte Murray, no matter what contract he's on. James Harden, he was more as well, but he had two years left on his deal. He was still considered a top five player in the league, certainly top 10 at that point. That was basically the Nets whole draft plus Jared Allen, plus Karis LeVert. I mean, and if you wanted to go back to the first Harden trade, that was, you know, when he went from OKC to Houston, that was two first-round picks, one of which was the, it was the coming year, but they we didn't know it like we did with the Drew yeah. pick. The, there was the, they did it with the reverse protection. Yes. That year, right? So it was, it was, it was 23. It was a Raptors and, pick. Yeah, it was 23 and 24, and that pick became Steven Adams. And then they also got Kevin Martin and Jeremy Lamb in that deal. So I would say DeJounte Murray is easily the worst player to get traded for three first-round picks in at least the last 10 years. Yeah, unless unless we're counting Jalen Duran because of that weird structure. <laughs> yeah, okay. Okay, fair, fair enough. Uh, oh, no, it was uh, Usman Jank. Oh, yeah, it was Jank. You're right. Yeah, the, the number 11 pick. But that was also for lotto-protected picks. I mean, these are, yeah. you know, could and get... And that's look- also not... Like, like we're comparing established NBA players. Like that's a, it's a different, yeah. it's, it's a different kettle of fish. Now, and of course, another reason why they should move on from, we talked about all this uh, the last couple of days that they really couldn't extend him. They could have renegotiated and extended him in October, but that would have been a pain in the butt and also probably would have reduced his trade value. And they also couldn't have traded him at this deadline if they had done that. And there's the question, obviously, the existential question of where are you going with DeJounte Murray? I think they, that question kind of got answered last year, even with him playing at this level, that they won 34 games and there was really no way that that was going to improve that was a point that you made when we talked about this yesterday that they didn't really have a path back to playoff relevance anytime soon in the next two years of DeJounte's contract even if they just you know splurged on some free you know they got like DeAndre Eaton in restricted free agency this year I still think they would be you know fighting for play-in scraps and and it was an aberration that they made the play-in last year with 34 games 34 wins that was I don't expect that to be the threshold going forward uh and of course they may not have made the all-star team particularly if they wanted to be worse and then of course you get to the next thing about it which is they just made their own pick this year much better that is now in theory the most valuable pick in their portfolio which wouldn't have been that valuable if they just held on to DeJounte Murray so that's part of this too and now this opens up as well other potential trades Jakob Pertl surely they'll look to possibly move him you could see them even possibly looking to move on from the likes of Zach Collins and Josh Richardson I'm so you know Josh Richardson certainly I mean McDermott I don't know how much value he would have but maybe they could take back bad salary for him they could also just do that with their 24 million dollars in remaining cap space which will grow once Gallo gets bought out inevitably and they could even look to move on from Kelton Johnson depending on what his possible extension demands are going to be and there's another really important element here to talk about from San Antonio's perspective is that we have seen some moves from teams that we expected to be towards the bottom of the league this coming year where they actually are at least doing fringe things to try to get better Detroit adding Nerlens Noel and Alec Burks 
and OKC has Shea Gilgis Alexander, and like they could have a lot of internal improvement guys. They and then Houston TBD, they might be a little bit more in the deceleration mode as well, or at least slow acceleration. But yeah. Orlando is in that mix too. Yeah. Orla- uh, San- and, and there'll be some injury team, some team that pivots the way Portland and Indiana mm-hmm. did last year, yeah. or, or the way San Antonio did years ago to get Tim Duncan. But yeah. the but San Antonio going more aggressively down this road and. And as much as I like a, a fair amount of their players, you know, I've been a fan of Keldon Johnson. I really like Yaka Pertle if he's still on the team. And we'll see with these young shooting guards. I mean, and, and I like Vassell. I like Vassell quite a bit. And But I don't think of them, especially if this team doesn't invest significantly in a point guard, it's going to be hard for them to win a lot of games. And so if they're in that, you know, they're in that conversation and having the worst record or the second worst record is lower expected value than it used to be. That's a part of the reforms that that the league initiated, but still have a pretty good chance of getting something. And so San Antonio, if they can get their way all the way down there and Greg Popovich has said that he's on board with it. Mike Finger had that tweet that he's basically signed off on it. And it's like he's back at Pomona Pitzer from a team source, which is fantastic. So from San Antonio's perspective, it, you gain a lot even beyond these picks. But I think that's a good way to transition into the Atlanta Hawks. And a part of why, you know, I, I know you had you had Jake Fisher on and, you know, Jake did some great reporting on this as well as well as others. Part of why it always was weird to me, and I remember I had the Hawks, actually, incidentally, I had the Hawks and the Spurs in the mock-up season, was I never understood the sales pitch for DeJounte Murray on the Atlanta Hawks. And guess what? I still don't. Well, let me try and make it for you. They desperately need an on-ball, get-over-screens player. They desperately need someone who can create turnovers. They were terrible at forcing turnovers. They're not going to switch, so they definitely need someone who can get over screens uh, as well and be that that one-two defender. Then they've got DeAndre Hunter to play the three. He can guard the other threat. John Collins is you know, probably about average at the four, and then you got Capella at the five. So the upgrade from Bogdan and Kevin Herter, and also potentially now being able to move one of those guys and maybe get a little value, that that's it could be really big particularly in terms of forcing turnover they also need someone else who can create and DeJounte Murray in theory can do that they just need generally more passing and ball movement he comes from that Spurs system where they were largely at the top of the league in passes per game and I think second in assists behind the Warriors which is pretty good considering how they were not a good offense last year and the Warriors uh, usually are at least when Steph plays so you also want to get Trey Young moving off the ball more let's see particularly given his struggles against Miami where they loaded up against him so much that Trey basically gave up by the end of the series even when Jimmy Butler wasn't playing in game five so being able to move Trey out the ball if he can kind of get his Steph Curry on a little bit now he's not an off-ball player Trey has always played with the ball but his spot-up shooting number are awesome and he's got a pretty quick release i think he could get to be a pretty solid off-ball threat if they wanted to go that route do i trust nate mcmillan to be the guy to institute a ball movement system i don't know uh also they just didn't really have a much of a mid-range game on this team and perhaps murray provides them with that it's not just spread pick and roll throw it out to a three-point shooter they just it gives them more ways overall to attack so i think and then it also in theory although this is this is just a theory i'm making the argument for this here and feel free to push back on any of these points i'm not sure how many oh oh, don't worry i will that now the non-trade minutes won't be such a disaster and 
anymore if you actually have you know the best pack of point guard that they've had here so far and so that you can now push to be a top five offense and this can get you back to average on defense and now you're in the high 40s and wins and you're back in the mix again the last point is an important one because the hawks every single year that trey young has has been on the team their offense has gone off a cliff whenever he has been off the floor some of that i think is is the nature of you know a heliocentric team that they have this identity they've never had that level of creator on the bench and Dejounte murray can really help in that both when trey young is sitting but also equally if not more importantly when he is unavailable you know those games are now going to be significantly more viable However, the Atlanta Hawks had a damn good offense whenever Trey Young was on the floor. And in all likelihood, the player getting most usurped in terms of starting and closing five minutes is Kevin Herter. And DeJounte Murray is a better basketball player than Kevin Herter right now, but he is a he has different strengths and weaknesses offensively. And DeJounte Murray last year made 33% of his three-pointers. You can say, okay, that's that's not too bad. But he had the ball in his hands an incredible amount and took fewer than 300 on the season. Season, about 4.3 per game, which was by far his career high. And Murray, he did take more of those catch and shoot, and he shot 34.5% on those, which is, you know, like that's a whole hell of a lot better than the 28% he shot on pull-ups, but it's still not fantastic. And so what, so I think that the best case scenario for the Hawks is palatable. And we'll talk about where they kind of fit in the Eastern Conference. But if part of the concept is the Atlanta Hawks team has been awesome when Trey Young has the ball in his hand. They're, unless they make another move and they make another move for a very specific small sect of people, they're going to have a center on the floor who's not a shooter. And you can activate that by having them in the primary action. But if the other team is not scared enough of DeJounte Murray off ball and he can attack, uh, you know, like a late closeout or something else, I think their offensive flow is not going to be as good in the half court and the transition could some stuff could be really good and murray a he has taken some steps back defensively as his offensive game has grown and improved there are i'm fascinated in the test case on how this works you know because usually you see those guys improve on offense and then you never get the oh they scaled it back again and so if murray's role does he kick back in at a higher level defensively we'll have to see and but i don't think i think of murray as a disruptive defender but not a particularly versatile one and that that means that you're asking more of everybody else. And so Hunter's capable defensively. He's, I think, a little bit overrated. And then presumably the Hawks are still going to have a good defensive center, even with the offensive sacrifices that typically come from that, whether it's Capella or Gobert or somebody else. But my bigger concern is... Even if DeJounte Murray patches those holes and ideally creates some new strengths and presumably some new weaknesses, paralleling my frustration with the Knicks' pursuit of Jalen Brunson, I think this makes them better, but I don't think it significantly changes their trajectory. I don't see a core of Trey Young, DeJounte Murray, Hunter, and Center X, whichever one it is along that general range as being a team that I expect to make a conference finals, much less win a conference finals. They could win a series depending on how everything goes. So I think they have a higher level than the team they dispatched in the 2021 first round, but not by a ton. And to me, you give this up for the last piece. And A, I don't think the Hawks were ready for a last piece. And B, I don't think DeJounte Murray is good enough to have been it if that's where they were. 
Yeah, let's talk about just the overall decision to quote-unquote go for it. And then please remind me if I get sidetracked to go back and, and talk about some of your points about the fit, which I think are some fascinating ones, and really get into some of the questions about team building and, and imperfect pieces versus talent. Your options here is the Hawks, right? Just the general, before we even talk about DeJounte Murray, the decision to make a trade like this, where at least there it's only a three-year period, that they're trading away their draft you know it's not an entire draft it get you get the ob, the entire obligation done within a three-year period but that's it's a fraught three-year period where trey young potentially might not be on this team and murray uh his contract expires and by the way you he will almost certainly become a free agent i mean maybe he'll just kind of disappoint a little bit there and then would just be open to extending for the maximum that he could next offseason i don't think so i think if he disappoints he'll want to just go somewhere and be the lead dog like he was in san antonio again potentially but you know both these guys are clutch clients they really want to play together all that is fine outside of obviously making the move for a true high level all-star player what is the decision to say hey we are going to trade these future assets to maximize this team right now and for the next two and hopefully two to four years around Trey Young who just signed a five-year deal but he has a player option remember so it's really a four-year deal and after the first two of those years if shit's not going well uh, you're starting to think about trading Trey Young uh, at that point uh if uh, unless an extension is possible with him which it probably would be and they would have the enough bird rights and stuff to just and 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 potentially the if they were willing to the supermax if he makes all nba at the right times yep no that's certainly a, a possibility so i understand that decision even if you're gonna say you know what trey young i don't know if he's ever gonna be a top 10 at least playoff player in the nba his defensive limitations are too rough you know he really flamed out against miami had favorable matchups the year before yeah he's an awesome regular season offensive player you know one of the top five passer in the nba all that you know we still hope at at being in his early 20s that he can grow to possibly be that that guy and you want to give him the pieces around him to do that in theory i get that like he's a good player he's the best player that they've had here since god who dominique wilkins those so, hawks teams that had success in the eastern conference even though five of them got chosen was that player of the month or player of the week they're yeah tra- trace better than all those guys yeah and you know he's better than josh smith and joe johnson and so yeah this is and i think that throws in that hey, he's the best player you've had since 1994 on your team that's and and yeah you know what he's probably not a top five player in the nba but let's just try to maximize around him the best we can who else might have been available for this package do you even like call around to try and find this package maybe rudy gobert rudy gobert surely i think the the jazz would have made a trade with rudy gobert for this gobert though with his age you might have a couple of good years but then by 32 he's not really going to be that level of impact player anymore and i think trey young you're probably not gonna win championship and then trey young is gonna be like hey you know like this can't really grow with me here acquiring rudy gobert i think would make it more likely that trey might want to leave in a couple of years even if you would have uh, rudy gobert certainly to me would give them more he's a much more valuable player than Dejounte murray in the present but he makes way more obviously and they also have clint capella who's a pretty decent facsimile of gobert and they also got a congo coming up uh, behind him and replacement level at center is, is much higher did they give up too much for Dejounte? i mean i don't think so i think this is about fair it sounds like the knicks and the wolves were involved the hawks outbid them it seems like they did that i'm not sure what other kind of player 
who would want to go to Atlanta. I mean, that was part of the good part about this is that he's got two years left on his contract and doesn't have a lot of say in where he's going to go because he's not going to sign an extension no matter where he goes. So you can kind of get a guy, and, and I think he wants to go play there, but other guys may not. And so the fact that he wants to be there, that's also pretty good. So Tashante, that quality player is probably the best guy you could get. Maybe you would say instead of that, they should offer that, you know, a lesser package to Toronto for OG Ananobi instead and try to get more just like wing role players double down on that model instead that that's i think there's an argument to me that og ananobi is a more valuable player than Dejounte murray but i i think it just it, the decision to go in here it does make sense to me yes they're probably not gonna win a championship maybe they're they'll kind of just be maybe they win a first round sometimes maybe they don't but like how, how much team. better is that than where they were going to be before like it's yeah it, i I find it I find it surprising so, that So you would say they should have just continued down the same path they were yes. on without making this move. No. I, I I that is absolutely what I would have done. And for another player maybe with a different role or a different niche maybe I would have been but I don't think so. I mean it, unless you're like it's yeah. a diamond in the rough where it's like oh this guy you know like th- this guy could be a lot better. Like there's a path for him to be a top 10 to 15 player or even top 20 with fit or something like that. I don't see that with DeJounte Murray. So like in a circumstance where they got the level of player, maybe, but even then I don't think I would because there's a difference between being satisfied with a level of success and there's a difference between and sacrificing real equity to do so. And that's where I am. And maybe I will feel differently if and when Travis Schlenk reorients this roster kind of around this foundation. This makes Kevin Herter an awkward fit. You can just have an overqualified sixth man who can fit in and Herter has a reasonable contract. I have been very critical of Herter's fit with Trey Young. So potentially sliding him into a smaller role could be good there. Or you could, in an ideal world, you trade a two for a three or a four. Hard to do. We'll see if they can actually make that happen. How they resolve the John Collins situation, all of those things. Maybe maybe the eventuality for the Hawks in the immediate is better than it is right now. I don't think it's going to, those, those shifts to me are not going to significantly change their station. And so it's not only the idea that the Hawks are in that, you know, like win a playoff series level. It's that even though we might not be able to identify over the next four years, which teams are going to be better than them. If you think about their level of quality, there will be two two to five teams better than them. Like that's just how this works in their conference. Like they're, they're, whether it's, you know, like somebody coming up like the Pistons or somebody who gets a couple of gets a couple of free agents to come together. Like it, that's just or the Bucks who already have Giannis, like all those sorts of things. And so for me, that juice just isn't that sweet. That's just how I, that's how I am. And it's funny because yeah, like it's like grapefruit juice. I mean, really, like why? Why bother? It tastes terrible. I hate grapefruit juice personally. But so, oh, yeah. But, yeah, me too. But so <laughs> I, th- I think that there are differing and justifiable affections for levels of success and i acknowledge that there are others who being a consistent playoff team and potentially winning a round or two in the playoffs that's great that's worth it especially for a team that in the near term doesn't really have to worry about the luxury tax this is not going to be a particularly expensive atlanta hawks team at least in the near term and if Dejounte murray and deandre hunter and maybe an Kong would depending on how this goes if those 
players play well enough to get big next contracts, they probably earned it and the Hawks are probably in a good place. And, you know, they could find a home for Collins and or Capella, depending on how everything goes. So you're not sacrificing, you know, it's not like you're committing to like a terrible, terrible money on your books, at least at this juncture. I just, I'm uninspired by this level. And it's not, you know, it's it, in some ways for me, maybe the parallel is the Chicago Bulls, where I, DeJounte Murray is a meaningfully better player to me than Vooch was. Yeah, and way, way better contract, way younger, way better. better contract. Yeah. I, I will say, I think the obsession about Dejounte Murray's contract is misguided because that only well, matters. Well, for here's two why years. it's not because they were able to give. They didn't have to give up anybody, right? Like they ba- they basically Gallo was their backup for who they're going mean, to wave anyway. And so, they so this Murray trade would all this trade would have been so much worse if they had to include Kevin Herter as well. I don't. I mean, I like Kevin Herter. I don't think it's. But, well, oh so, no! So you so could, couldn't have given him up. Couldn't have given up Bogdan Bogdanovich who is well i mean i think those guys might have value or or could get rehab but i think your point about you know they're are they really that high that much higher of a level than they were before i think is a reasonable one also let's remember just like how pathetically injured they were by the with bogdan couldn't even move and capella like couldn't hardly play john collins had two really bad injuries as well i mean they were like a complete shell in that Miami series, they might've had a much better showing. And so I think they're better than they showed last year, certainly in that playoff series. And hopefully getting another guy who can dribble will help Trey in those. And now you're just adding Murray to that when Gallo wasn't even going to be on the team anyway and, and wasn't a huge part of what you're doing. Okay, now, okay, I, Nate, let's, I, let, yeah. let's, let's do this. Knowing what we know right now, put the full strength version of this Atlanta Hawks team, put them in the east, top of the, put them where they go in the Eastern Conference. Yeah, they're probably like a six seed, right? I'd put them ahead of the Bulls. Uh, so yeah, I think like the big five, Boston, Milwaukee, Philly, Miami, oh, Miami losing PJ Tucker could be a problem. Uh, and, and then Brooklyn, I, I would say, and I, I'd say Atlanta is probably sixth and one of those teams will probably have injury issues. So th- they could and they've got a lot of depth on this team too they don't really have guys other than bogdan who are injury risks so i, I think they they got a a decent chance of getting a top four seed in the east with this group as as we sit here today lots could change between now and then you agree with that or you think it's a little lower than- i think it's a little lower than that and i i their defense will be better i don't uh, and also i generally don't think guards do too much to transform a team's defense you know like they, yeah they- i think for this team though because they literally had nobody in that role i think it can really help like their on ball pick and roll defense was so bad i i do enjoy that one of our differences here is that like i mean you you commented on it but like will nate mcmillan be able to deal with the unusual strengths and weaknesses of this guard combination offensively i'm not enthusiastic well, yeah, and he's going to have a lot of pressure on him. He he could, I mean, it seemed like he was under pressure even at the end of last year. But let, let me talk for a little bit about what this team is because I think I've been playing devil's advocate here. I would not have done this trade. I think DeJounte Murray is one of the most overrated players in the NBA. I share your concern that as much as he may help them defensively in their base lineups, the additional ball handling he provides doesn't give you much. His 53% true shooting doesn't give you much. Maybe that goes up a little bit, but he's not really the kind of player 
who I think can get he's never really been efficient in his career like he's not gonna all of a sudden just get all these open catch and shoot threes and start bombing those he's not gonna get to the foul line more which he never did before he I don't think he's maybe be a little bit better a finisher at the rim maybe he has to take you know more of his mid-rangers come early in the clock than late and he lowers his you know maybe he gets close to league average true shooting I'm guessing probably not though I mean there's so many Watfos coming to mind out out of this but uh yeah and again I mean like I I noted I think he's easily the worst player in the last 10 years to get traded for a, a package like this and yeah the contract helps a little bit the age helps a little bit and and I'm also very concerned both with him using up possessions at that type of a true shooting number and then just not spacing the floor for teams like I think they with Trey on the floor they are a very good bet to be worse offensively this year without just Herder or Bogdan or whoever that is at the two they don't their starting group now really doesn't have a premium shooter maybe there are other moves coming maybe they will just they'll close games with Hunter at the four and then one of Bogdan or Herder at the three other than your whole thing about getting way better defensively doesn't help maybe Trey doesn't need like quite that much crazy shooting around him I kind of think he does personally but maybe like I think that could be a pretty decent defensive group as a starting lineup like that group should be an average group unless I mean Trey is just so bad that you still can't deal with him at all which eh, you know maybe uh but but teams won't go at him as heavily at least during the regular season and then your bench units I don't think they're gonna be like actually good because I don't think DeJounte Murray is can be the initiator of a great offense or even a good offense even if it's a bench group but it should get them to at least be more respectable than they have been with him off the floor so i I, but i think they'll be worse on offense probably better on defense and yeah i think and it also just gives them some resiliency as well trey doesn't have to play as many minutes or maybe as many games anymore well Um, and 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 on that on that kind of just to keep a big picture on the hawks in the year that they made the conference finals they outscored opponents by six points spread possessions when trey young was on the floor in the regular season that dropped to 3.2 last year and there were some reasons that we expected that including a or that that just that explained that including more significantly a defensive decline and so you can help with that but so like the the idea that the, the like it's not, i'm not like the difference between this and the bulls moves beyond the fact that in my eyes Dejounte murray is a meaningfully better than vooch player vooch as a player is that the hawks are better than the bulls were then and i think they moved to better but i not not by enough that's why i thought it was a reasonable comparison if not a perfect one yeah i mean that's it's in the end it may be that that package the bulls gave up is better wendell carter looks looks way better the pick is better than they thought it would be and then it, uh, not only was it number eight but it also became a good number eight pick in franz wagner so yeah i mean that may end up being a better package than what the hawks gave up but at the time i think this hawks package is probably considered more of an eyebrow raiser than the vooch one which we also hated by the way i, I mean i like i'll say that i like the decision to go for it for the hawks and the type of player they're going after better than the bulls decision like this is not as bad to me as the vooch trade even in the moment two other points to get to cut to make sure we cover before we move on from this one is broader spurs lonnie walker did get a qualifying offer they can revoke that qualifying offer unless lonnie walker signs it beforehand but it's low enough that i don't think that's going to happen when walker's cap hold now that san antonio is in a different phase i don't know how much that matters and the other one i brought this up loosely and uh, 
I saw it originally from um, I'm I'm I guess it's Davide Chinalato, where who is an editor for an Italian sports outfit. I do not know its quality. Um, said that Danilo Gallinari's guarantee has been bumped up to about 11.6 million to facilitate this trade. So yeah. good for him. You know, you get that money. I would expect that he will not be that he will not be a Spur for very long. Another foreign foreign born player who goes to the Spurs never really gets a jersey and then goes on to different pastures. Uh, did we talk about the Hawks tax situation now? No, we did not. Actually, that was something that was another criticism I had of, of the trade is that now Atlanta preliminarily, I would have them as about 7 million under the tax, but that's with only 10 players on roster. So filling it out, gets you pretty close. And, uh, no, nah, it should be, no, it should be more than that day. I might've missed a number. Oh, oh, that's right. This is the wrong Trey Young salary number. You're right. Okay. Yeah. I have an yeah, update. He, he's, uh, he got the 30%. That's max. right. So, and that actually with we'll talk about that all those numbers bumped up with some of the news today so yeah as of right now they got 10 players on a contract and they're 1.5 million over the tax there's going to be a huge tax distribution again this year so i don't see a team being kind of around the tax don't see them using the taxpayer mid-level but surely with john collins reputed to be on the block it seems like they're just gonna <laughs> the perpetual on the block of john collins is still gonna stick around they don't really seem to have a trade for him he was in this deal than he wasn't good job i think by san antonio not taking him and instead getting gallo uh because he's got three more guarantees years left plus a player option and they just don't need him to win some games this year they got kevin herter kicking in at 14 million with eight percent raises uh, over the next three years after that uh, obviously trey at 37 they still got bogdan with 18 million and then an 18 million player option after that and they got capella in the last year of the deal he signed in 2018 making 20 and then he goes up to 22 and then 23 i think they probably are going to go into the season with this group and then just kind of see what happens and see if somebody gets hurt or, or you know one of bogdan and herder you would think would be on the move at this point I mean, maybe if they're still playing incredibly well and all these guys are good, then they'll just be willing to pay the tax. It doesn't feel like they should do that to me. Maybe Capella could be traded because they want to give the starting spot to a Kongu. They probably need to get, you know, a third star. But I, I think it feels like it's going to be all minimums from here on out at this point in Atlanta. Uh, also for Atlanta, they did not give a qualifying offer as expected to Kevin Knox and he will be an unrestricted free agent. Let's get to the overall news, though, that's going to affect uh, every transaction in the league this season. Right. The first place I saw it was from Keith Smith, but we, and, and Tim Bontemps had something to that effect right around the same time. The projected number for the 22-23 salary cap is 123.655 million dollars. That is up from 122 was the most commonly used estimate before right now. And so as I think Kevin Pelton astutely noted, and I got so much joy out of people thinking he was being like coy or sarcastic when he was being genuine because that's KP. Um, that it w potentially a part of this was the Warriors losing some of those closeout games and having, you know, creating extra home games. That is extra revenue for the league and everything else. That might have yeah, been a factor. I, I mean, that probably added 30 million in cash 
to overall BRI and you know so that's and about 44 percent of that goes into the cap and so that's like you know 400k of this 150k or I'm sorry of 1.5 million increase right there and then just overall the Warriors playing so many playoff games in general is a big part of this I mean they get they're getting like you know tens of millions of dollars particularly by once they're getting into the finals from these home games and hilariously also making that money now will save the warriors a fair amount of money as well It'll probably save them like over five million dollars just and the, the cap clippers, and the tax the being clippers too yeah because the tax line goes up to 150.267 and the other important number there is the hard cap so the hard cap is a little bit over six million ahead of the luxury tax line that's one five six nine eight three we will get the official numbers on thursday but that seems it feels pretty damn close to official all right next big piece of news here is we have another trade to announce yeah i guess we could go there next i was gonna go to harden but that's fine um denver this was the er early morning for the two of us trading monte morris and will barton to the washington wizards for contavious caldwell pope and ish smith caldwell pope and ish smith their guarantee dates were real soon and they both have to be fully guaranteed to make this deal work it barely works and it only works in the 22 23 league year so that's that's how close it is and part of the reason why is because it saves denver about 4.8 million dollars in the immediate and i think the value what are let's just go through the salaries that each of these four gentlemen uh, are making this season for yeah for the upcoming season so barton expiring contract 14.375 million and part of the reason it works in the upcoming no no i thought he's isn't barton 16 oh he might be i'll use your i'll use yours well you're talking which year are we talking we're talking about the the upcoming yeah the the upcoming year because that's how the the tax issues are yes adjudicated yeah Yeah. all right so yeah i guess we never updated that all right he's making a little bit less than i thought you're right his contract his contract descends a little bit yeah okay i guess i had an estimate there and it never actually updated on my sheet so they, oh there right. there also are some incentives that might have gotten ruled unlikely because that that could be a factor as well yeah all right well i i will update that now and you may <laughs> continue with the okay apparently more accurate number sure so um 14375 for barton and his contract descends which is what made this legal in one year not the other monte morris his goes up 9.125 so that's what's going from denver to washington what is going from washington to denver 14 mil for contavious caldwell pope 4.725 for Ish Smith. Yeah, so the overall savings here for the Denver Nuggets are 4.77 million, um 23.5 going out, 18.7 going in. Bobby Marks used the phrasing that they now that the Nuggets now start the offseason under the tax, but they're as my numbers have it 2.9 million under with 11 guys on roster, so that's only kind of under the tax because you have to fill out your roster and everything else. Yeah, and also when you consider the Vlako Chanchar qualifying offer and their two draft picks as well right so so they're sort of over this is more a reduction in the bill but i think the definitive question here from denver's perspective is how do you feel about contavious caldwell pope as a fit not only as a player but as a fit with the key pieces on the denver nuggets versus will bark yeah i would i mean the overall talent i would say when you don't think about the fit is a clear downgrade for denver like ish smith i think is probably one of the worst backup point guards that's actually going to be on a real team whereas monte morris was one of the best he's got and he's got better size and morris can shoot and ish smith can't maybe there's another move coming in in terms of nuggets point guard we'll see kcp slides right into that vacated gary harris role and they needed more ability on the ball 
ball defensively. Aaron Gordon can only guard one guy. And if if you're going to have Nikola Jokic, you need guys who can compete and get over screens. Now, KCP, in my opinion, is not the same guy that he was in Detroit and maybe not even the same guy in LA, but still a solid defensive two guard, one, two defender. Maybe can switch on to some threes, although the bigger ones like Kawhi Leonard, for example, give him big time problems. But he still gives you some more size guarding point guards than maybe they had. Though they still got Jamal Murray, probably just hides on whoever the worst of the one twos is. Then you got Gordon to guard the other, the biggest wing threat. And then Porter Jr., hopefully if he's back, is you know, is also kind of getting hidden. And so is Jokic. I think KCP offensively... <sighs> You think he's a better fit than Barton? I don't, I don't know. Maybe he could be. He's maybe a little better a spot-up shooter. But Barton is actually an underrated spot-up shooter. But KCP kind of gravitates towards those plays a little bit more. Barton is a, a better driver. Barton's pick-and-roll ability has been overstated. I think I would say that Barton is a maybe a worse fit in the full-strength lineups, but a better fit in the non-full-strength lineups. You know, so like right. if, if Jokic or Jamal Murray is out, then having a supplemental playmaker is a good thing. And you spend a lot of your time not with that. But I, I like... KCP a little bit better as a closing five player that said KCP as you brought up he was effective defensively in the bubble for the Lakers I didn't love what I saw from him last year I didn't actually really like what I love what I saw from KCP or Will Barton last year for either of their respective teams and I've seen the yeah, argument you're talking about, about de- defensively. defensively. KCP and, was a very good catch and shoot three point shooter last year, although he sure. doesn't get a ton of volume up. Right. But yeah. but you've got Jokic who basically sets up like the most catch and shoot threes anybody in the league. Yeah. So so I think I think there is an argument there. And and I've seen especially Nuggets partisans and especially those responding to this being another cheapo crunky move that Monte Morris was superfluous. And to an extent, no, that, that's ridiculous to like. So it's it's true on the on the very basic surface level that does not understand how an NBA team works. And if Jamal Murray were 100 percent healthy and you guaranteed he was going to play 82 games plus all their playoff games, then having the downgrade from Monte Morris to Ish Smith would be less impactful also you can play morris and jamal murray together that is another way that yeah you can i mean that, and that's what they did and that was right. an effective bench exactly for them but before murray got hurt but jamal murray is coming back from torn acl and no player is going to play in 100 percent of games and monte morris is a good fully developed backup point guard who wasn't who, who could fill in and on a completely reasonable contract and that makes denver a worse basketball team and the the reason that you the reason that you do this so like you have these two elements so you slightly upgraded at your fifth starter fifth closer potentially and then you more materially downgraded with a key bench guard you don't do that net in like that that net is not sufficient to justify the deal it is because it saved them a bunch of money like that is that is how you whether it's how you do it publicly or how you do it privately i think there's a disparity obviously there oh we're so thrilled to have kcp he has championship pedigree all that okay i mean he did you know he was a part of a championship and then the lakers moved on and i mean that was a mistake from the lakers but i also think kcp at age 29 season and and so i so you have this big thing especially with the history of the cronkies and denver 
while being a very good team, making all sorts of cost-cutting moves, sacrificing quality and draft equity to do so. I will, like I did with the Milwaukee Bucks last year, I will withdraw some of those some of those criticisms if and only if they end up using some of this additional flexibility to make their team better. So maybe this is getting trade acquiring the draft rights of Misich, and now that you have a little bit more flexibility, you try to pay him. That could be actually using the full mid level, but odds are well, well they, they, I don't think they can use or not the full mid. Sorry, using the, the tax the taxpayer. Pay. That's what I meant. Like actually using all of the taxpayer mid level, and as has been the case for years now with Denver, I'll believe it when I see it. And if if I see it, and it ended up like well, we talked about this from the Bucks perspective. Another team that we ripped for it, and then they spent more was. And this is, I think this is way worse than the Bucks. Like the Bucks at least ended up paying up in the end. Uh, you know, they kind of skirted it for a couple of years, but you know, they, they were 20 million into the tax last year. Can you, can you imagine Denver being 20 million into the tax? Like, <laughs> sure. No, of course not. It's ridiculous. Unless they Dan have Crocky won. Dan can't if afford that. Are you kidding me? If they had won a championship in the previous year, maybe they would, but. Uh, pfft. I, maybe yeah we'll see we'll see so, so yeah i mean like all right if you want to make the argument yeah like now we're far enough below the tax we can use the full mid-level we're going to get another guy in here i let's see if they even use the tax pyramid level danny because here's right. the thing they are right at the tax right now with 12 guys so they're going to probably go over there isn't really an obvious way to cut salary maybe it's moving on from ish and jeff green you know maybe they just run bones highland as the backup point guard and ish they just keep him around for a while and then they dump him with some seconds or cash at the deadline or something like that um so but particularly as money grubbing as these guys are hard to imagine them not being out of the tax when you consider the massive windfall that's coming to the non-tax teams again this year between golden state clippers nets lakers bucks uh, all these teams are probably going to be in the tax again maybe the lakers will get out of it or, or but i don't think so i mean lakers are going to be at least 10 million over you would think and they don't have a lot of great ways to trim salary so maybe they use the taxpayer mle i you know we'll see if they even do that they want to re-sign demarcus is he going to come back on the minimum i mean maybe but this is one of the worst benches in the league now i mean particularly you consider the defense with like highlands and maybe if that assumes demarcus comes back austin rivers i, I guess you could bring him back again brim forbes let's not forget he's a free agent they didn't give Compasso a qualifying offer it seems like he'll be on the move elsewhere jeff green really struggled in the playoffs last year and you know jeff green's probably gonna have to start some games for these guys because again like you mentioned murray what about michael porter jr like he's gonna right. be on the rest and maintenance plan too I mean, they're supposed to be going for a championship like they should be loading up on depth and this is probably now gosh i mean i would have to say i mean going back to like the Darrell arthur era and kenneth faree they give a first round pick to move on from him and like this is probably six or seven moves where they've given up major obviously there's the jamichael green green trade like, giving up monte morris he's one of the best backup point guards in the nba like their bench was actually good with him and demarcus and, and you could throw murray on there too without Jokic. ish smith is a horrible fit with Jokic. uh i again maybe it'll be bones highland as the backup point guard but he's a little bony if you haven't noticed defensively and 
Ish is going to be 34. He had a 475 true shooting percentage last year. Oh, no, I'm sorry. That's his career. <laughs> it's It was 465 last year. He's going to be 34. So, yeah, and Ish can't shoot at all. And Monte Morris was actually a very quality spot-up shooter in his years. So, yeah, this is just a, a move that, yeah, makes their starting five incrementally better. Maybe you'd say KCP is better. Maybe you'd say Barton's better. I could see it either way. But the bench is just, it's looking real bad right now, Danny. And if they use the full tax experiment level then maybe i feel differently it just doesn't seem like that's gonna happen does it it doesn't um but let's move to the wizards perspective and their part in this is intriguing because of the the ripples that it has not only for them but for the rest of the offseason because yeah the washington wizards you could argue in a certain respect that they chose Monte Morris over Tyus Jones. Now, Tyus Jones is an unrestricted free agent. He can prioritize whatever we want. He could potentially be back in Memphis. We don't know what in the world Memphis is going to do with their spending power at this juncture. That's one of the few things that has not yet been clarified. And if part of this decision is, well, yeah, I know Morris has this connection with what Sunsell Jr., who was an assistant on the Nuggets staff and then got the Wizards job. Personally, as as much as I like Monte Morris and, and I'm thrilled that he looks like he's going to get the chop at, head, at the the opportunity for a head job, I think Tyus Jones is a better point guard right now. I, I don't think I agree with that, particularly when you consider that Morris only has two years left on his contract. Oh, I'm talking about as a player. I'm not talking about player yeah. plus contract. This is solely as yeah, a player. I, I think it's six and one half dozen the other on those two guys. They're both, they're pretty similar players. Jones makes more plays defensively, maybe a little better floater game. Morris maybe a little bit better as a spot up guy. They both avoid turnovers, probably about the same in individual defense. Like they're, they're two of the most similar players in the NBA. Sure. And and now at least one of them is going to get the opportunity to run the show. Tyus did get that opportunity at times last year for the Wizards or for the Grizz when John Morant was out. And being able to do so with, you know, swap functionally swapping KCP for Will Barton, we talked about how Caldwell Pope, you know, he might be a better fit for Denver. I think he he is. And for the Wizards, I think Caldwell Pope is probably a better fit there too, just having a little bit more defense and they, you know, how how they work it in terms of the yeah. front court rotation. Although I mean they really needed more of a three, assuming as as it appears Bay accompany that Beal is coming back. And I guess Barton, I think, is like a little bit more of a three than KCP. I think they're I think they're pretty similar in, in that respect as as well. And for Washington, we don't know like we both expect that Bradley Beal is going to return. He opted out on Wednesday. But so 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 using kind of some of your spending power, of, you know, Monte Morris makes about twice as much as Ish Smith, but you're kind of filling that spot, and you and now like you could theoretically use the use some some mid level, but you also burned up a fair amount of your kind of marginal spending power in this move. So I think this makes the Wizards better. I and also there's no guarantee. I as much as I don't know where that other Tyus Jones offer was going to come from, that he wanted to go to the Wizards, and there is non public information potentially there that he was maybe not interested in and if that's the case yeah, the Memphis can pay him more than the Wizards right. could have the margin between Tyus Jones Monte Morris and everyone else potentially there that to me is significant and so if that was the choice then this is even more of a no-brainer and I think it's the right decision like I said that I prefer Tyus Jones it's it's real so to be able to get a player in honestly two-year deal for him versus four years for Tyus that'll probably be relatively similar money both of those are fine you know it gives you time to evaluate Morris you don't have that significant long-term commitment if it goes sour quickly you you could get out of it quickly and 
the Wizards in two years will know a lot more about where they are as a franchise. Didn't we say that two years ago? Yeah, but yeah and, and also, I mean, to get just for taking on an extra like four and a half million bucks to get the point guard who's going to start for you this year, that's a pretty damn good piece of business, particularly right. when Barton is arguably as good for you as KCP is. And also, Tyus Jones is really the only other even starter-ish level of point guard available right now. And the Wiz didn't really have the scratch to go after DeJounte Murray, who maybe would have actually been a better fit there than in atlanta but i, I agree i think he would have been and so now it seems like they're going to be headed for this five-year 250 million dollar deal with bradley beal and also finally anthony gill got a qualifying offer he shot over 50 percent from three but it's only on 26 attempts last year and then congrats to ish smith if he plays for the nuggets he will set the nba record by playing for his 13th team Let's go to Philadelphia. I think this is a potentially very significant story, even though it is still not firmed up. And that is that James Harden declined his option. That is not that is not dramatic in and of itself because Bradley Beal, fellow elite shooting guard, is doing the same thing. But it's with the additional reporting that Harden could potentially take less money to open up more spending power for the 76ers. We do not yet have an amount for Harden, but we have this idea that it could potentially open up the mid-level, could potentially even open up the biannual in addition to the to the non-taxpayer mid-level. And that would make, depending on who takes their money, that could make a world of difference for Philly's depth next year. What a saga it's been on this player option. First, it was reported that he was opting in as a condition of the trade but there's no reason that he had to do that at the time and we said all right well that's good Philly needs some assurance that he's going to stick around then it kind of became clear as you thought about it like there's nowhere else for him to go this offseason anyway and then when it became clear he did not opt in before the trade apparently the Nets even furnished him with that paperwork according to Brian Windhurst and it didn't happen he didn't sign it and as I thought about it, I'm like wait a minute no like there's no reason for him to opt in right now given where their tax situation is going to be if they want to get a guy in a sign and trade if they want to use the mid-level it doesn't make any sense and then he said of course after the season he's willing to he wants to win and he's willing to work with the organization and then shams as part of this uh, drama had the reporting that he's you know he's rededicated himself he's starting his training earlier than he ever has before and it does seem like he's willing to at least take somewhat of a haircut here, at least in the first year. And we'll see how much he ends up getting compensated on the back end. And we don't know what he's being compensated, what the initial deal was, if he had opted in versus otherwise. We'll never know the exact answer to that question, probably. Then there was reporting, though, that he was expected to opt into his $47 million. And again, that never made sense. And it particularly didn't make sense once the reports emerged of P.J. Tucker going there on a three-year, $30 million deal because they would have had to have gotten below below the apron and significantly below to use that and potentially the BAE, which is now four million. So with Harden now opted out, the Sixers with twelve players, assuming they bring back Isaiah Joe, Paul Reed, and Charles Bassey, do they have any seconds that they're gonna sign this year? Can't remember any. But in any event, where they are right now is twelve guys with no Harden, and they are fifty-two point three million below the apron, which of course is the hard cap. Daryl Morey always loath to 
be hard cap they'll want to maintain at least some maneuvering room there a tobias harris trade it probably would take back less money if they ever wanted to do that but it looks like now if they wanted to use the bae and the mle that gets takes out 14 million so that would be hardened starting around 38 give you another couple million to work with with you know, they'd probably be at 14 players actually yeah they'd be at 15 players if they use the mle bae and bring back harden and bring back those non-guarantee guys and there's your team and you got two million or so below the apron to just you know make in-season moves and not kill yourself yes yeah, it's pretty good and pj tucker and harden are definitely buddies and presumably harden would not have opted out had he not known that they had something that worked out harden of course could always just re-sign for 46 million to start but you can't do this thing where he would drop down a lot in subsequent years which they could have done yeah, yeah you would have to do that because there there's the rule that it can only go up or down eight percent of that first yeah. year salary of the new deal yeah so good thing that harden forgot to opt in as a condition of the trade on the tucker front sounds like miami is gonna offer him three years guaranteed at the most that they can with non-bird rights that comes to about 27 million they appear to be loath to get into their own mle where they could match this offer because but because tucker only started seven they want to use non-bird rights 120 percent of the seven million he made last year starts at 8.4 so it's be a little bit less and they don't want to get hard capped this year so they can uh, have yeah or, or theoretically just use some of the middle level on another player yeah certainly certainly uh or the taxpayer mle so yeah i mean getting pj tucker for philly would be a big coup if it if it does happen officially we'll of course uh, analyze it more there and turning to miami they are rumored to be a dark horse in the jalen brunson drama which uh continues at least a little bit here i wonder how much of this is simply window dressing from brunson's camp to avoid any idea that this is formally formally agreed to but mark cuban is going to be joined by nico harrison and michael finley jason kidd and one or two of brunson's teammates not luka Doncic, because i think he's with the slovenian national team right now they're going to meet with brunson in new york reporting that it would likely take somewhere close to a five-year 125 million commitment for the mavericks to prevent brunson from signing with the Knicks. sources said i mean that's just like the specificity of the reporting of this has been so funny and they're almost like they're negotiating terms with me but it's like if you're that specific on what deal would be required i mean maybe they can still make it maybe the mavs are starting to realize that oh yeah we we blew it here he actually really is gonna go the knicks have all this money like we what the hell are we gonna do to replace him we can't do anything and maybe that actually would make him that offer if they're willing to offer 22 i think you should just go ahead and offer 25 uh i don't really see what the three million dollar difference is for a a player like this and a team that's contending and and maybe this isn't over yet i feel like it's over but maybe it's not i feel like it's over and one other consideration here we can go through all these mechanics should it actually come to pass it would be exceedingly complicated but considering some of the knicks pistons components have not yet become finalized with the league there would actually potentially be a way to fold some of these things together and the reason so typically in the modern collective bargaining agreement after inspired by the sign-in trades with lebron and chris bosh going to the going to the miami heat it became more the acquiring team doing the old team a favor because you could create uh, a trade exception which due to brunson being base year compensation would actually be smaller that could actually swing back the 
other way, if the Knicks can do all of these different moves, stay over, and then they could potentially retain the mid-level exception, which is larger than the room exception. We'll, we'll, I just want to put a pin in that. We'll see what actually happens. But that might be a way for kind of for a, a, some mutually beneficial spending power if the Knicks are willing to give the Mavs that trade exception to make them to make their own draft pick worse. Yeah, and I don't know what could possibly happen with the Heat. I, I would have to really be a, a Kyle Lowry sign and trade. Pat Riley was not particularly pleased, it seemed like, with Kyle Lowry and said he needed to get into better shape, which I think is correct. Now, Kyle, we don't know the nature of it, but definitely appeared had a lot of personal absences this year and you know maybe he was struggling with some things and that could have been part of why it wasn't in amazing shape as well but it does seem like there might be a possibility of moving Lowry but you know two years at 30 million a piece left not sure how appealing that might be for <laughs> other teams but hey you know if and also the math on getting Lowry to Dallas who supposedly was interested in him last year would get difficult with possible base year issues as well uh where should let's, we go next year let's go to the joined at the hip decisions for the houston rockets and the oklahoma city thunder you mm. and i are cba cap nerds and this is just catnip for us where yeah. well we, we just talked about this yesterday because of the brunson thing exactly which is in both of these circumstances i said jalen brunson was going to be the last second round pick to get a four-year contract with no options and you brought up the correct point that historically in the like mitchell robinson these options end up getting picked up you either sign an extension or you go into unrestricted free agency you bet you deal with that low cap hold and we had reporting including sam presti being on the record saying their intention was to pick up lou dort's team option he would be unrestricted absent an extension next offseason instead both houston and oklahoma city declined the team options on jay sean tate and lou dort making both of them restricted free agents and this is a very intentional very important decision most significantly for these two individuals because they're getting a lot more money right now and i'm yeah. thrilled i'm thrilled for them that that's going to happen so let's start with dort and his qualifying offer he made the starter criteria last year is gonna be 4.9 million dollars so that's a, at minimum he's gonna get that raise his situation he was already completed his third year so this is the last year he could be a restricted free agent had he played out this year he would have been a unrestricted free agent at the end of that so there was more impetus for okc to keep him around i think part of the reason they took it down to the wire was okc as of right now without anything on the books for dort and with 17 players under contract is basically right they're about four million over the cap remember their cap room is about to get vaporized when i say right now i mean right at the start of the league year so you know 24 hours from now but and the thought was that maybe they were going to take on guys with the ex vaporizing cap room they had and then maybe that would have gotten them close enough to the tax that it wouldn't have really made sense to do this with Dort. Now, though, you have full bird rights on him. You got all this room below the tax. There's really no reason not to just spend money on Lou Dort this year, which will then hopefully keep your bill down in future years when you're actually trying to be good. The other downside of this, though, is he would have had a pretty small cap hold next year. Probably would have made the starter criteria, so he would have had about a $5 million cap hold again next year. And they are, in theory, maybe trying to use cap space for real next year, but they still will have likely over 50 million next year so that's not a huge difference and you know if they if he's gonna get something in the low eight figure range losing eight million or something in cap space it is no big deal so i think this is a smart move both to not lose him get him 
on a longer term contract that could be potentially a better trade asset if you wanted to go that route and for when it matters later on you're going to have them on hopefully a long-term deal they could even go up to a five-year deal for him if they wanted to because they have full bird rights on him and so now the kind of the way to think about it is whatever his same way as we talked about with zubats you take what he would have made this year which is the minimum and then we'll see how much he ends up getting in this first year you add that to the subsequent years that he's getting paid and that's kind of more this is you think of it as like that is the extension it'll be however many years after this year and however much in new money he got above that minimum this year do you have a prediction danny on where this ends up money wise i don't yet i mean i think of dort as a between a like a 14 and 17 million dollar player right now but remember the yeah. cap's going up so that could could potentially increase. I wonder if former OKC second lieutenant Troy Weaver is kicking himself a little bit because I criticized Detroit about a day ago for burning cap space on Nerlens Noel and Alec Burks. Putting it putting it in offer sheet on Lou Dort would have been a better use of their cap space than some of those things because he could be an. In- I mean, they have Sadiq Bay, but like I think Lou Dort could fit in as well. And oh, for sure, San Antonio. You know, there there are still teams that are going to Indiana. Like this is a Indiana. You have no forwards. I, this is a very I, good I, use I mean, of your cap space. They, they could still put an offer sheet in on the. Uh, now I would be shocked, Danny, if they did this without an understanding of, of where, where the they're going to go. I it did happen agree. with Chandler Parsons, but I I think this is. Is all pre-negotiated here and because you only the only reason to do this is okc is if you come in and you say hey you know what like we've got you under contract for a million eight this year or whatever it was million nine so if we opt you out you're going to give us less over the long term than it w- you would expect right so my prediction is i think this is going to be four years at like 12 13 million each and, it, and this, probably this deal, declining as well would be this deal guess. mitigates a lot of risk for both sides different kinds of risk so for dort you're getting the money now and for okc there was you know i've harped so much on how the extension rules are really messed up for players that aren't premium and it's possible that lou dort wasn't willing to accept that so then you he's not the same level of kevin durant but you always want to risk when a player hits unrestricted free agency that he's interested in something else or just wants you know what what something else and Ludor, I mean, the Thunder have done a lot for him in terms of, you know, kind of bringing him, bringing him up from not a ton of like draft equity or anything like that into being a starter and being a good player in the league. But if he wanted something else and so the OKC, they're going to have him and Lou Dort's going to get his money. And for Jason Tate, as you mentioned, that was a very well, good. A, a quick, quickly, one more thing on Dort. Again, like, you know, maybe they could have offered that four year, $58 million extension after this year, but A, he might not have taken that. And B, you just get essentially this free money for the team that doesn't hurt you at all to shunt more of the money into this year uh but yeah tate is is fascinating get to his situation is a little bit different than dort it is a little different because jay sean tate is has just completed two years in the nba he is older this was his age 26 season next year will be his age 27 but with just two years in that means not only do the rockets only have early bird rights but it also means that paying jay sean tate his minimum for the coming season would not have made him unrestricted in 23 he would have been restricted in 2023 and and so in this case it might be the playing the game thing where there just aren't that many teams with cap space they wonder if 
anybody's going to be really sold on Jay Shantade. And so locking him in this year and giving him a raise when the Rockets have the financial flexibility to do so, they're simultaneously like functionally over the cap and have a mile and a half of room under the tax. But it isn't as clear cut because the risk of losing him wasn't nearly as high. I suspect they have an arrangement here as well, in part, again, because Houston is in the same situation where they're right at the cap. I don't think they're going to use the full mid-level this year anyway. You know, after all, Daniel Tice isn't available. So I think they'll end up with plenty of room and you're not doing anything with that. So why don't you reduce the bill on him in future years? He's going to make, he's got that same qualifying offer, the 4.9. Also, I think the fact that Kenyon Martin is asking for a trade is an indication that this is kind of done that the we'll see maybe it could go wrong or maybe someone gets in these guys ears and is like don't take that don't take that <laughs> kevin pelton style i think this one's going to end up with three years 24 million that's my guy i really wish this would have happened in the mock off season i would have loved to see how these negotiations would have gone but i think that's that's about where this ends up three years 24 a couple other notes on these teams for the thunder they unexpectedly declined a 3.5 million dollar team option on mike muscala muscala quietly i, I think he might have had like the greatest uh offensive epm in nba history because he was like the only guy in the team who could shoot at all and they actually performed pretty well when he was out there and they had to kind of stop playing him and then he, i think he actually did end up having ankle surgery not sure what kind of shape he is in doesn't seem like he's going to be back they just have 18 roster spots spoken for even without him so i think this is just if you love somebody set him free as uh i'll quote kp again <laughs> on that one but uh Muscala is an interesting free agent now we didn't expect him to be available good vet there and but now that they have Holmgren and I think they still are going to have favors on this team as well they don't really need uh, Jermichael Green is still around also so I think they're just going to kind of do Muscala solid I would be very interested in Mike Muscala as like a regular season backup center the way he shot the ball the last two years and then they did exercise team option Isaiah Roby he still is non-guaranteed but has a pretty early guarantee date of july 3rd maybe they'll resign muscala i don't know i mean he seems like he's a good vet for them but it would be a little surprising given their roster crunch and then in houston they did not extend a qualifying offer to trevlin queen who is the g league mvp at age 25 and athletic played as hard defensively can shoot a little bit he's supposed to receive ample interest according to chris haynes rockets also kind of have other fish to fry with their own roster crunch and the three first round picks coming in the four from last year so makes sense maybe that queen wouldn't be in their plans and kind of just do him and his agent a, a solid by not qualifying him which would have been required just another sorry two-way as well but i i think queen is in, is interesting what's next here in the atlantic division we also saw you know this kind of cap cap minutia but we saw a couple of atlantic division teams decline team options on players but then make them restricted free agents for the for the brooklyn nets that was kessler edwards and for the boston celtics sam hauser and oftentimes in the in the last couple of years what that has meant is they wanted them on a longer term deal and so this allows player and team to negotiate or consummate in as the case may be a different contract other than that one year team option and so i expect knowing what we know right now because of that combination of like we're letting you go off this contract but we're retaining match rights 
that they will line something up. A recent example of that was Jonte Porter with the Grizzlies. He ended up not being on the team that much longer, but it's it's a mechanism to retain a player without having them hit free agency or unrestricted free agency. Yeah, I didn't realize that they did that with Hauser. I thought it was reported they were actually picking up his option. I believe I believe guaranteed. I I believe I saw that. Yeah, well, it, it would make sense because I think they actually expect him to have a role. We'll see how he looks in, in summer league if they bring him back, which I would imagine they probably have a deal to do. Also in Brooklyn, Patty Mills surprised me a little bit by opting out. Nets still have non-bird rights uh, on him. They could offer him about $7 million or so. Remember, he signed a 1 plus 1 for the mini mid-level last year he'll attract significant interest around the league according to i can't even remember who it was who reported it was probably Woj if it had the word significant in it so with seth curry in the fold i don't think that patty mills would be a big priority john and i actually talked today on spotify live and he talked about how some of the financial constraints could be more real in brooklyn this year now bringing mills back might enable you to move on from seth curry and get some value or get someone in at a different position but i think certainly rather than re-signing a small guard if you do have finite resources as the nets you you want to if it's between bringing back mills or using the mini mid-level i would go with the mini mid-level personally given their specific situation i think that's reasonable i'll do a rapid fire on some of the qualifying offer decisions troy yep. brown troy brown jr not getting a qualifying offer unrestricted mo bamba not getting a qualifying offer unrestricted yeah. and again there's still talk that he could be back in in orlando i don't necessarily i'm sure they're making him some like relatively low offer and kind of doing him a favor to indicate that like they still like him and it, but it seems like he will have some interest elsewhere because again that archetype of someone who can shoot and protect the rim even the scintilla of a guy who can do that and be effective is going to have a market i think anthony gill gets a qualifying offer so he will be restricted i, d- I did mention that i'm I, I, I can't believe you weren't just hanging i actually as i was saying it remember that you did uh aaron holiday did <laughs> not get a qualifying offer so he will be unrestricted not a huge surprise considering phoenix's overall situation and not exactly on that front but a couple of like kind of low salary option decisions stanley johnson and one game Gabriel both got picked up. Johnson's contract is now guaranteed. Wenyan Gabriel's is still non-guaranteed. And then in Minnesota, Naz Reed and Jalen Noel both got their options picked up. Both of those are still non-guaranteed, but I expect both of them to play on the Timberwolves on that contract. What do you make of DiVincenzo not getting a qualifying offer? His frustration with the Kings potentially manipulating the system to lower his qualifying offer feels a little hollow now, but I I am stunned by the downfall. I mean, DiVincenzo, before he got hurt, was a valued part of what Milwaukee was doing and his, you know, not having him. I, I, they, they ended up doing just fine overall in the playoffs, but I thought he really did make a difference. I thought that DiVincenzo being able to do some stuff on ball, it was different than Gordon Hayward. I also, or just not Gordon Hayward, Grayson Allen. And I also think that DiVincenzo, I like him better defensively. And for Sacramento, why this is so stunning is a, they gave up some picks to get him and B the opportunity cost for them is basically nil because Sacramento is barely over the cap and miles below the tax 
So this basically says we don't want you at all. Yeah, DiVincenzo did rediscover his three-point shot in Sacramento and profiles as a decent third guard with some ball handling skills next to Mitchell and Fox who can also defend on the perimeter and get over some screens at his best. He didn't exactly light it up from two-point range, but he hit 37% of his threes, and that's where most of his value is going to come from on the offensive end. Only 25. Maybe they are actually interested in having him back, but they just, he wasn't important enough. Like, they want to just try to change their reputation. Because remember, they can't even get people to work out for them. You know, Jaden Ivey's comments, like, it wouldn't be the worst thing. So maybe this perception that he was pissed off about the whole not starting thing and having this qualifying offer kept on maybe this is just like hey you know what sorry about that we'll make you unrestricted we'd like to have you back but we don't want you to be bitter that we like held your value down by making your qualifying offer lower also i guess they could have just been afraid that he was going to take it but i don't think that would be the case like they did trade for the guy i mean maybe they're just sort of like pissed off at him for besmirching them i I really don't know where this is going at all but i i mean unless there's some like relationship type thing happening here which does happen a reasonable amount on these qualifying offer decisions if it's just like yeah we don't you're not in our plans we're gonna let you go though i that doesn't make a lot of sense to me of course there's plenty of speculation about the signings i think we will let those speak for themselves when we record on thursday but unfortunately the last piece of news that we do have to get to is dis- disturbing disappointing at bare minimum it's allegations at this point except that miles bridges was arrested for felony domestic violence his bail was set at 130,000 the details that we know originally reported by tmz are incredibly disturbing a woman claims she was in an argument with bridges that turned physical and bridges was gone by the time the cops that were called arrived to the scene and the woman required medical Medical attention. Bridges turned himself in. So it looks like the altercation was on Tuesday. Bridges turned himself in on Wednesday. Wow. I mean, just to have, you don't want to focus on the basketball component of it so much here, but I think just to do something like this three days before you're about to potentially get a life-changing payday uh, i mean I, I guess that just shows you like the depths to which people can sink sometimes and just that he probably was pretty out of control frankly uh you know i don't think there was any kind of indication of of these sorts of issues in his past at all i will also say again everything is is alleged at this point and we've seen there have been times in the past when the media hasn't been harsh enough on these things or been other times when frankly the media has jumped to conclusions and the story hasn't been as bad as reported these are you know the fact that it's felony domestic violence that the one required medical attention certainly a preliminary look at this would make you think that this is more likely to be one of those things that really is serious and does this affect his market going forward the nba doesn't get as much attention for this stuff as the nfl did and and does they are almost never do a suspension before things have gone through the legal process it seems like they almost never do a suspension unless there actually is a legal finding of guilt or a guilty plea which again is in contrast to the nfl and i actually kind of prefer the nfl's uh, approach on this one frankly i.e with the deshaun watson but the league not its teams we should clarify there but whether i don't think honestly that this will affect his market that much and you know nothing has basically happened to jackson hayes who also uh pled guilty to domestic violence uh, over last summer 
So I, I don't know how this is going to play out. My gut feeling, though, is kind of sadly, it's not really going to matter that much in free agency, but maybe we'll see if that's true or not. All right. What a, what a crazy free agency eve this was with this Murray trade and all this. Fascinated to see where we are headed tomorrow. And of course, Danny and I will be recording tomorrow night. The cap sheet is out. If you The best way to get to that, if you're looking at it, is to just log into supporting cast. We're probably only going to do one actual email per day, but if you just log into the supporting cast post and we will put that in the email, that'll give you whatever the latest one is, but we don't want to spam people with like four emails a day necessarily. And we'll still have the sale in honor of the mock-off season going for another couple of days. If you're a monthly podcast only subscriber, you can get total access for cheaper. If you want to actually commit to a year, you can save some money and get more. So we'll be very happy. Hopefully we've seen a lot of people doing that and we hope to see some more as time goes on gearing up for tomorrow can't wait talk to y'all then